0: And I just remember the first week he's, look, I've taken the last three weeks off. All I've done is sit around my house, eat creme brulee waffles and Cheesecake Factory. He's, we're yeah, not getting- dream. If you've ever wondered how to write training programs for an NBA athlete, you're gonna love this episode. Whether we're talking about off-season development, managing the grind of an 82-game regular season, or bringing an injured athlete back to 100%, today's guest has seen it all. Eric Schmidt is in his fifth year as the head strength and conditioning coach with the Memphis Grizzlies. And prior to his arrival in Memphis, he served as the director of sports performance at the University of California, Santa Barbara from 2016 to 2019 And he came to UCSB after serving as an assistant sports performance director at UCLA from 2013 to 2016. And in this episode, Eric and I are going to take a deep dive into program design for NBA athletes. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, this episode was incredibly fun for me. Obviously, I work primarily in the basketball space these days, so that part's cool. Second, I think E. Schmidt is one of the realest coaches I've ever met, so there's that. But most importantly, we've collaborated and shared athletes in the past, so I know we see eye-to-eye on a lot of these topics. And while this entire episode is really interesting and engaging, the section on in-season program design was really eye-opening for me. I love hearing how different practitioners attack their craft, and I love the framework that E. Schmidt and the Grizzlies are using to plan and periodize their season. Quite simply, if you want to learn more about program design for athletes, I know you're going to love this episode. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump into this awesome new show with my guy, Eric Schmidt. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from 3 dollars to 5 dollars per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content, yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple. Restart IFAST University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of IFAST University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better and access to the IFAST U archives where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the IFAST team over the years. This blend of content and Q and A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed off. We'd love to have you on board. Eric, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, man, I'm going to
1: first get my Mike Robertson fanboy props out because I love it. Since you know, since the early day of college, I think I, I read your stuff on T Nation, and obviously when you started yes. the podcast, I have been listening to this podcast for a really long time. So, just want to say grateful for everything you do to the industry, for the industry. You've helped me a lot as a coach from afar. So I just got to get my props out there. You know, it's been awesome to to get to know you in uh, your favorite city. I don't think I've ever met a guy that loves Vegas more than you, so. Um, <laughs> I love Vegas. Love it. You're a huge Vegas guy, so it's great to see you out there every year. But but yeah, about me, man, I'm, a, a fi- I'm 5'10", 190 pounds of dynamite. I, I originally grew up in California. I'm from California. I'm from the Mecca of carjackings. which is modesto california my let's see my my life motto is kaizen you know or continuous daily improvement i got that tatted on i don't know if you can cuss on the podcast i I got it tatted on my body i'm a big outdoors guy i love to fish love to hike let's see i believe in living you know what we preach so i try to be pretty dialed in on everything nutrition to sleep training all that stuff and optimistic i'm an optimistic person never try to take myself too seriously hopefully that'll come across today and always looking for the positive so yeah that's a little bit about me
0: dude this is why we get along so well right <laughs> ever the optimist everything around me could be blowing up and i'll be like no we'll figure this out you know it's like to a fault sometimes to a fault sometimes but 100 okay so talk to me what led you to the world of physical preparation like how did you get started in this space
1: Yeah. I never know how far to go back with this question here, but what originally got me into the space, I used to, it was probably pretty vain. Like I used to train in high school and just wanted to, you know, to get shredded, you know, but I just always had this, I think it was like a, a space, like the gym was like a space for me to kind of get comfortable with myself, get to know myself a little bit and push myself. And I just always enjoyed like the physical aspect of it. I didn't know what I wanted to do after high school. I went to college for kinesiology thinking I think I knew about like physical therapy at the time a little bit sure so that was maybe my original kind of intent but just knew I wanted to be around something kinesiology related health related so went to school for that but had no idea what I was going to do and then I ended up working as a personal trainer and then getting around some people who introduced me to strength and conditioning and once I got introduced I remember going home my freshman year and was it was my freshman year in college and i googled strength coach cuz i didn't know what it was
0: <laughs>
1: and literally strengthcoach.com pops up yes. and you were on there you might have responded to this thread so so you've changed my life as well but i asked you know i asked some questions about strength and conditioning i read a bunch of stuff on the forum and then i ended up kind of trying to ask about what's the educational route to become like a professional strength coach so i kind of got all my information from there and it was like A bunch of people were pushing Springfield College, you know, Um, spirit, mind, body, baby. And uh, so that's where I ended up going. But I think you chimed in about Ball State, maybe on that one. We got to go to the archives for that. But either way, you know, I started out just it was for myself. I got into it just thinking, okay, this would be a cool profession. And then I just fell in love with the teaching aspect when I was kind of personal training and then starting to get into like athlete population training. I just really enjoyed that piece of it. So. So yeah, that's my origin story in a very small nutshell there, but I did a bunch of internships. I ended up actually going to Springfield College, which is a long way from California, as you know, <laughs> and that kind of got me into, a I guess, a, a circle of people that, that really had a profound impact on me. Everybody from my my, my classmates to my professors, this is like Pat Davidson's Springfield College days, so he's yeah. one of my big mentors, and just exposed me to a world that I had no idea about. So. You know, that sort of set me on a little bit of a path to kind of where I am today, for sure.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I don't think I knew you went to Springfield because for the longest time, like, you would think, oh, somewhere local, right? IU or Purdue or Ball State, that's where we got all our interns from. The two uh-huh. schools that we got the most interns from was Springfield College and Buffalo.
1: <laughs> like, oh, literally,
0: Buffalo. Nice. literally, we got so many from those two schools. So that's yeah. that's really cool, man. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, we roll
1: deep, man. Springfield rolls deep, you know. So yes, it's once I figured out, you know, that it, at the time, again, now there's more places out there, but again, sure. I, I date myself here. This is like 2013. At the time, it was like that was the place that had the the, the biggest reputation for the industry for sure. You know, yeah. just like reading the people that had went there, and it was like, damn, this is a, a laundry list of of monsters. So yeah, that was a place to be, but you know, hopefully those Springfield folk did a good job for you.
0: No, they did great. They did great. Okay. So last but not least, talk to me about where you're at now, what your day to day current gig looks like with the Memphis Grizz. Yeah. My, this is year five, believe it or not, which is wild. (laughs) This is or going into yeah,
1: year five. I'm the head strength and conditioning coach here. I work with a really big team as kind of as you know, there's, you know, our department is the performance department. So, I'm responsible for the health and performance of, you know, multiple of the of the players. Um and my day-to-day just being a strength coach, man, just living in that dungeon downstairs, <laughs> you know, just training guys on a day-to-day basis and obviously, you know, being being part of a big team, we're involved in sort of a lot of different little pieces here, but my sole responsibility is to, is to, you know, train train the guys and be generally just be a strength coach. You know, I've been, I was in college for a long time and I wore a lot of hats when I'm here. Right. I, am, I am a pure strength coach. I'm responsible for the, you know, the physical aspects of, of these guys' preparation.
0: I love it, I love it. So kind of my vision for this show is, literally we're gonna start at the end of a year and just work our way forward. Right. So we kind of get the gamut and really give people an insider's view into how this looks for you guys, because I think a lot of people think they have the answers (laughs) until they get into somebody like your shoes and they're like, oh, wow, there's a lot more here that I never thought of. So let's start at the end and let's actually start with an exit interview. Right. Mm. Season Mm -hmm. just wrapped up, you know, the regular season, playoffs are done. What does your exit interview process look like with your athletes? And from that, do you give them like specific goals or maybe specific physical traits that you want them to work on during the off season?
1: Yeah, the exit interview is, I mean, there's pieces of it that are formal, but there's pieces of it that are pretty informal. I will say we do have an exit interview process where we we, we sit down with each guy. I'll meet with each guy. It's usually 15 minutes long or so. Um, I say it's fairly informal because... We spend so much time together that none of this stuff is really, you know, there's nothing that gets held back until the end of the year sort of thing. We're chatting all the time. I mean, literally, I see these guys every single day for eight months straight. So so a lot of the stuff is, you know, and I'm an open book with them. I, we talk about goals and priorities and things that you know they like and dislike and I mean we're I'm very adaptable to what they what these guys need and want. So yeah, so it's informal in that sense but you know maybe some pieces are a little bit formal because you don't usually get an opportunity to sit down in a really focused serious way. you know there's something like right. more serious about a formal meeting, if you will. And so I do try to get some feedback from them that maybe they otherwise wouldn't have shared or, you know, maybe this is just a, a space to, to share because it's like you're going into a new chapter of the year. So get some right. feedback from them if I can and then really just talk about like the near future of okay, what are, you know, how many how much time off are we going to take at this, you know, this stretch? Where are we going to be? The off season's really it's really long and so guys aren't always going to be in in market. Yeah. So I just try to get a feel for the near future. And then yeah, we'll readdress sort of the sort of the things that went well and things that didn't go well and the things that, you know, maybe they struggled with physically, if they had any injuries, those types of things, and how we might strategize to to protect against that stuff and just kind of set some – just kind of – just lay – get a little bit of a – set set the tone for going into the off season and But, yeah, like I said, most of this stuff is kind of – it's already been discussed at length because I, we're always talking about things throughout the year too.
0: Okay, so you kind of have these informal meetings – maybe something a little bit more formal, like from that, do you like go into the lab and put your like program designer hat on and then like just craft out like this beautiful four month periodized program? Or what does that process look like for you? Like, how do you go in and you start to take all these pieces and put that together for them for their off season?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it'll generally, I, the length of, planning that goes into the off season is really dependent on the context of the situation. So I definitely wouldn't do like a full, you know, I have my general like training blocks and thinking about like how these things are going to kind of how these things are kind of like going to build together. Yeah, uh, But ultimately, I, I we will take it in like shorter strides for sure. I think getting a feel for what the, the length of time that they're going to be going to be off is I usually it's a couple weeks, you know, and then as we kind of reacclimate to training, I'll, I'll kind of work work on a program for them for, you know, for that initial training block. That's fairly general depending on the the context. So if a guy's going into summer league, there's not really a long period of time to, there's not really a long training block preceding that. So there's kind of like a a need to maybe hit the ground running a little bit there. But if a guy is, you know, a veteran that's not going to play early in the off season, then we can kind of stretch things out. So it's context dependent. Definitely don't, You know, I'm not I'm not over here planning out like every day for the whole offseason. That's a complete waste of time, you know, but (laughs) the top down planning process is definitely real. And so there'll be some constructs we'll put together. But yeah, hopefully that's not too general. It's just really dependent on what the guy's uh, going into.
0: No, I think that's I think probably what most of us do at this point. Right. Like back in the day, you thought, oh, yeah, I'll just string these four months together and it's going to go exactly like this. (laughs) Now it's you really lock in a program. Right. You write one and the other two or three or four, however many, they're kind of like just broadly sketched in your mind, right? This is what I'd kind of like to do here based on this person's KPIs and what we're chasing. These are things I kind of want to work on at this phase. But until you get to that phase and you see kind of what you've done before that, it's really hard to have something like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. It's just not that concrete.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think you know, there's two structures to the planning. There's like this top-down approach, which is like that big picture where you kind of start with that, you know, macro, meso, micro, you know, and build it all the way to a microcycle. And then there's this bottom-up planning, which is sort of this agile process that is, I think, the most important component, to be honest with you. And so, yeah, it's fantasy land to think in in this space if you that you're gonna you're gonna run through something like for four months straight without a, you know, without any agility to your plan. That's like complete. Yeah, it's complete nonsense. So yeah, it's yeah. You take it little
0: pieces at a time, and you're going to be a lot better off. Absolutely. Okay, so you and I both know that it's hard to get a pro athlete to stay in any one place for an off season, right? Unless they're in like a hot spot, like L.A., Miami, New York City. They're all over, right? They're in Memphis. They're in Vegas. They're in Memphis. They're in L.A. Like they're all over. <laughs> and as such. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of instances where you would love to do all of the training for these guys and it's seamless and cohesive, but that's just not realistic either. So you got to interact and you got to integrate with private S and C coaches. And you and I have had this discussion, so I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. In a best case scenario, how does that relationship look? Like, how do you interact with private S and C coaches to get the best result for the athlete? Yeah, that's a great question. And
1: to be honest with you, to your first point, I actually agree that some of these guys should get out of market for a bit. I'm, sure. I'm in favor. I'm in favor of that. The one caveat I have is that guys stay put for a period of time. You know, because that right. the piece of like them jumping around and working with this person and one week and then that person another week is generally a, a challenging. It's challenging to sort of get into your groove. So, but yeah, to that's a great question in terms of how does that relationship, what does that relationship look like? I mean, to be honest with you, it looks like uh, two really good friends, you know, like, that's, that's what it looks like. It's two people that have, you know, two good friends that have similar goals for, for somebody, because it's always about the player. And, you know, so my goal, my goal in those situations is to really just get to know the individual that's working with the player, and really just get as aligned as we can with sort of how we're going to be able to best support that that player, you know, and a lot of these times, like I've have I have personal experience with one of my athletes who has a, a trainer that he's worked with for maybe it's five six years now, maybe more than that, five six years, who's worked with that that player more than I have, you know, that trainer's worked with that player way more than I have, has a relationship that stretches further back than me, so. <clears throat> if anything, I could probably learn a lot from them, you know? Sure. And and so it's really just kind of establishing some common ground and realizing, again, that it's not about my way or their way. It's literally about what's going to best help this player. And I think keeping that front of mind is always the most important thing. And then, you know, I won't pretend that, like, my way is the best way to do something. You know, I mean, we've been in this industry long enough. There's a lot of different situations that, athletes can train in and be really successful and be, you know, be healthy and build robustness. So, so I'm certainly not going to try to interject my full, you know, my full philosophy on somebody and say, Hey, this is what you should do. But, you know, we will talk about some of the KPIs that we have. We'll talk about some of the way that player handled the environment, because there is no replicating an 82 game NBA season, you know, so I'll definitely learn some things about how this individual handles the environment in terms of what are the, you know, what are the things that get sore? What are the things that that hurt? What are the injuries that they had? All that stuff is kind of shared in a way of like, how can we protect against these things in future cases? And so we'll talk a lot about that. And, and yeah, we'll just, again, just try to establish some common ground. And then I try to get pretty specific with things. So sharing videos, you know, just sharing very specific, specific messages about, you know, the program that the individual's been on and yeah, just different things like that. But ultimately it's just about building. I mean, it's so cliche here, but building a (laughs) a really strong relationship with that trainer and just uh, keeping that player front of mind at all times.
0: Yeah, I love that. And there's really two things I wanted to note here. Number one, you talked about staying in one place for a while. I Mm -hmm. think that's true because I have a lot of friends and colleagues in the skill development side too that I've cultivated Mm -hmm. over the years. And I think they would say the same thing. Right, If you're going from city to city every week, that means you probably have a different strength coach every week and a different skill development guy. And yep. so if everybody has their own interpretation of what you need, right? like in our world, some one guy says you need more plyometrics and the next guy says, no, you just got to get strong. And then the third guy says, no, you just need to work on your mobility. It's like, you just end up spinning your wheels and you make zero progress. Yeah, same thing on the skill development side, right? One guys, "Oh, no, you got to work on your finishing." No, you got to work on your shot, you know? Like it's there's too many cooks in the kitchen. 100 percent. Right? Yeah, 100%. So percent Something like like a unified vision is important. And then I would just say this, like one thing that I've always respected about you guys and the other kind of coaches that I've interacted with throughout the league is the transparency. Because as a private SNC coach, when you are willing to send me, "Hey, this is this guy, these are the issues that we've had," These are the scores. These are the metrics we want to test or see improved. It makes my program design process so easy because I know exactly what you guys want to see when you get him back. And I think that goes the other way, too, because, again, you and I have talked about this. If you're a private strength coach and you're working with a high level athlete, please actually write programs, (laughs) document what you're doing, write down like improvements in strength, force plate testing, whatever you're doing so that when you send them back, you can show, hey, look, this is what we did this off season. And then it's seamless on your guys' end as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think sharing programs is like just step one. You know, it's like you should (laughs) share your program. Like here's like literally, because yeah, I I struggle with vagueness when it comes to some of this stuff. Like if we talk about an athlete's like lift or something, I actually want to know what were the set and rep schemes? What were the progression? (laughs) What was the load this individual is doing? Things like that are very important when you actually like I don't know, when you get down to the brass tacks of training an individual. So I think sharing that information freely is like at least step one, you know, that should just be kind <laughs> of like the expectation and then hopefully can push beyond that where you can get into the weeds on maybe the deeper things. But yeah, I hope that's more frequent. I've had good experiences, to be honest. So maybe I'm just spoiled, like working with you in the off like in some of the off season stuff and some of the other trainers that I've worked with in the private sectors have been awesome. So maybe that's I'm just great. spoiled.
0: Yeah, that could be. That could be. I've heard some horror stories where somebody's, hey, can you send me your programs? And I just kind of do what I feel like doing that day. I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Like, that's embarrassing for me to think that there's people like in my situation that don't write programs. Like, you would think that's base level. It's It's crazy. (laughs) Okay. So, this next question should be pretty top of mind, especially since preseason is right around the corner. So let's say you've got a new or a returning athlete coming in i'd love mm-hmm. to hear more about your intake or your evaluation process and what that looks like as their strength coach
1: yeah definitely this is definitely front of mind because this is the period of of the year that we're in right now so when an athlete returns you know there'll be there'll be an on on-ramp period where you know generally you're in touch with these guys but you give them space. So, you know, I don't know exactly what their day to day is. So we'll chat a little bit about, you know, some of their most recent like training history and just get a feel for what sort of things they've been doing like that week or weeks prior, that sort of thing. And then, you know, I just try to really kind of this is the period where I, I have a plan for sure. And there's some things that like we've obviously worked on, especially if it's a returning player. And I'll, I'll just kind of have my general plan, but it's very agile the first week or two to kind of acclimate them. Because generally these guys know this is what I need to do to, to get myself into, you know, ready for training camp into kind of playing shape and that sort of thing. So it's pretty agile, but there's there'll be a general like training plan that's based on sort of their menu of things that they've done in the past. If it's a, if it's a new player, a little bit of a different scenario sometimes that you, you're just kind of getting a feel for what they like to do, what they don't like to do, sort of what their initial goals are. And then kind of, we'll always kind of evaluate maybe some of the, we'll evaluate some of the baseline measures that are pretty important that we generally will be looking at regardless. So some of our big measure KPIs, whether that's some of our isokinetic stuff on the HUMAC or on the, the the new leg press we got or some force plate testing stuff. So there's some things there that we'll definitely look at to establish some baseline. And that maybe gives us a little bit of a picture as to like where this individual is in relation to where they've been in, in the past or where they are if they're new in relation to the the other players on the team, that sort of thing. So we'll do some of our testing, but I won't like, we won't do that like day one or anything. That'll be, we'll kind of ease that into the mix. Yeah. Nobody likes to come in and just, you know, be a, a lab, <laughs> like a lab rat day yeah. one. And, and jump into that. So it's really just about onboarding them into sort of the training and you know we do schedule out like everything that goes down during this period so there's there's days that guys are playing right now there's days that guys are just having individual days that sort of thing so so we'll kind of acclimate guys into that depending on when they come back during this period of time but again hopefully that's not too broad of an answer but that's ultimately kind of what it it looks like it's pretty fluid in terms of what you know what they've recently been doing and sort of if they're dealing with anything when they come in at this period of time we'll account for that too so
0: for sure No, that's, it's really interesting. And, you know, I have heard some of my guys that are like, yeah, I got there day one, like off the plane. And they like, were putting me on force plates and like testing all that. And I'm like, "Ah, okay, look, everybody's entitled to do whatever they want or whatever they deem is best. But that's always kind of been my process too, is look, nobody wants to come in day one and be evaluated. I I remember, this is kind of funny, I'll make this short. But the (laughs) first, first NBA player I ever get is Roy Hibbert, right? And Roy is just a huge human being, anyways. He's seven, two. And I just remember the first week, he's look, I've taken the last three weeks off. All I've done is sit around my house, eat creme brulee waffles and cheesecake factory. He's, we're God, not getting dream. dream. <laughs> I know, right? he's, I'm not doing any performance testing. I'm not getting <laughs> on a scale. I'm not doing body comp for a couple weeks. And I was like, okay, that's fair. You know, (laughs) like that really for being my first person, I was like, okay, I get it. Like he hasn't done anything. Like let's ramp up for a little bit (laughs) and then we can get those performance numbers.
1: Yeah, exactly. It'll be there. Yeah, it'll be there. And, and I I know you, you and I jive on this, like every session can be an evaluation, you know? So obviously if, you know, we just had a player come back this week who's been off for a little bit and it's okay. We're we're going to do the, the same, you know, we're going to do a basic session of these exercises that you've done in the past. I know what you've done in the past and yep. it gives me a little bit of a feel for, you know, how hard are they straining to, to, you know, hit these weights that they've done easily in the past, that sort of thing. And you, And really like you can get a good idea and good feel for, I mean, we know if somebody's been training, you can get a good feel for that pretty quickly. You know, if somebody hasn't been training, that's also pretty evident as well. (laughs) So ultimately it's, you can treat that session clearly as an evaluation without having to, again, go through more, maybe more formal testing stuff. Yeah. Throwing them on, yeah. Throwing them on Humax and doing maybe more like Direct testing that's very, very formal, that sort of thing. So it's just, yeah, yeah, you let them, let them gear up, you know, give them some time.
0: No, I love that. And I also just like that idea of, again, if you've worked with somebody for a while, it doesn't always have to be like this formal, okay, we're going to go do your squat jump and your counter, you know, like you don't have to do all that. Like you said, you can just kind of, okay, let me watch you jump on this box. Mm -hmm. Let me watch you do this squat or this trap bar deadlift. And you're like, okay, this person's about where I think they should be or, oh, we may have a little bit of work to do to ramp them back up and get them where we want them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very cool.
0: Very cool. Okay. So talk to me about planning and periodization in season, because you and I both know the internet experts have all the secrets. They have all the answers and they will (laughs) gladly tell us why all the things that, you know, those of us that write in season programs are doing wrong, but beyond them, I'd love to hear how you guys attack planning and programming for, you know, what amounts to a six, seven, eight month, 90 to a hundred game plus season. Mm -hmm.
1: This is such a monster of a topic, but it's something that I I think about all the time, obviously, and I'm very heavily involved in trying to figure out how to best plan for this period of time. But, you know, when I think about the in-season periodization, it's the longest it's the most consistent, the most unbroken training block of the year, to be honest with you, you know? And so that provides maybe some advantages to think about it that way of just, okay, there's this really long period of time that I'm definitely going to be with this, these individuals the entire time. So, you know, I think looking at that way, first and foremost, allows us to maybe step back and just, okay, there's a nice opportunity in front of us here to, to really, you know, make some improvements if we're real strategic with our approach Uh, But periodization in general, the way I think about it is we're breaking it into some of the like organization of the training pieces and then the kind of planning based on these different timescale pieces. And if you look at a six, seven, eight month block, that's too big of a time to really like plan effectively. You kind of have to break it up, you know? And so the typical language that we use in strength conditioning is the macro, the meso, and the micro cycles, you know? And so the first thing I'll do is I'll take this monster of a time frame and I'll just try to put it into these more manageable chunks, you know. And so if I think about what this macro cycle is, the macro cycle is the whole period. It's the whole right. six, seven, eight months in uh, season. And then, you know, the, the mesocycle, what we'll do is we'll chunk it into quarters of the year. And so those quarters end up being about their 20 game blocks, you know, about 20 game okay. blocks. So if you take an 82 game season, then you have, you know, roughly 20 games in, in each quarter there. So there's four quarters to the year. And those are kind of what I would just consider the mezzo cycles, you know, that sort of medium term plan there. And fortunately for us, those are about those run about every six weeks or so, like that's okay. about six to six to eight weeks, sorry, yeah, a little longer six to eight weeks there. And so if you think about like planning and training, that's a general period of time that we like to, to think about, like writing, you know, planning out these sort of sequential program so that helps there and those quarters also help to kind of anchor some of our some of our evaluations you know so if we're looking at these these sort of KPIs that we want to keep a, a good eye on and make sure that we always have a good you know recent dashboard of some of these important metrics then we have a little bit of a uh, we have that period of time where we can start to you know we can evaluate at least once or twice during that quarter each quarter so we'll look at things there. And then the micro-cycles kind of break into the you know, two-week blocks. And that's sort of, okay. you know, those just, the two-week block is, it allows me to be a little more agile. So that's why I used to do a week-long micro-cycle. Now I've stretched that out. It's usually about a 14-day micro cycle. So So that's sort of like how you break down the time frame or how I'm thinking about breaking down like the time scales because that's really like the first step of periodization. And, and I think part of that is like just agreeing upon these timescales with other groups, you know, so like our sports, medicine, like our whole sports medicine staff is thinking about these timescales the same. And that's really helpful because, you know, it's not just my, you know, testing and evaluations and my programming. It's about every, you know, there's a lot of pieces to this, you know, to this process. So I think making sure that we're all kind of on the same page when we define sort of these timescales, I think is like step one, and then as far as like the organization of the training that's the stuff that we like to get into when we start thinking about things and so you know so when i think about that it's what are the the biomotor qualities that we're trying to to work on you know how do we break down these these components within a program so then we have things like you know from a biomotor quality standpoint we have things like absolute strength we have reactive strength we have speed strength we have you know strength endurance there's these different qualities that are we know are going to be important to to develop and retain and then you know how do we break down those into smaller you know smaller manageable chunks so what are we working on is it you know the gpp blocks is it the spp blocks is it the you know sport specific stuff so there's kind of like different categories there that i'm thinking about you know and then it's really just kind of whittling that down to the individual training days you know and so there's sort right. of like different types of training days that you know, that we'll put together and just call them high, moderate, and low, yeah. <laughs> you know, pretty simple, you know, so we have that aspect of it. And then really, it's, it's really building out the training menu What the training menu consists of, you know, I, I don't try to reinvent the wheel here. So it's like, what are the patterns that we're looking at, you know, so for each one of those sort of biomotor qualities, what, what patterns do we have that we're going to train? And it's your typical stuff, you know, it's the Ian King, Mike Boyle, you know, you have your heavy implement power, light implement power. You have your knee dominant, hip dominant, all that stuff. And so I kind of yeah. build out this training menu based on this individual's, you know, this and you know, the anthropometrics, the you know, mobility restrictions, that sort of thing. And you get real specific. It's like selecting the actual exercises that you're going to utilize, that sort of thing. Selecting some of the goals for those, each one of those exercises. And and then it's about kind of plugging those into those different training days and, and then starting to kind of build out those little chunks of 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 training so it's like when we talk about like the mezzo structure it's like all right we have this six to eight week block that we're going to have a a pretty good top down plan for but then it's really just getting specific for two week blocks at a time and it's like okay i I look at these two weeks in front of me you know and and sort of here's how i'm going to plan those and and then here's the backup plan for that because this never goes as planned. So it's, you know, we're trying to kind of work on, you know, training in in these two week little, little sprints here. So that's sort of, sort of how you do it. I've done it differently, you know, in the past, but certainly that's how I'm trying to think about it. And, you know, some of the other pieces, like I just had a, a call with, with PAC. I don't know if you know PAC, but he's a guy who's done his PhD on minimal effective training dose. And so OK, that, that topic's really important in this environment because I really am trying you're trying to figure out, you know, what's the most strategic dosage that I can I can put here uh you know put in their training plan over this period of time while they have all these other stressors to retain some of these qualities or develop some of these qualities and so um i just want to give him a shout out because i talked to him for a little while uh, last week about this topic because it's it's always important to try to figure out you know what's the optimal dosage to build some of these biomotor qualities and to retain some of these qualities as, as all this other competing stressors are happening so so yeah you know trying to best figure that stuff out but Yeah. So anyway, taking this big, long period of time, chunking it into these time scales, organizing the training in a way that makes sense, and then really getting specific towards what the menu of that individual is. And then real specific about, you know, what are the rate limiters or, you know, what are the constraints to the development of these qualities? And then just trying to really chip away. That's really what it comes down to. And just, and then being ready to be super, super agile, you know, because I will never put my, you know, my agenda uh first because ultimately like we do deliver a stress here right so an 82 game season the travel the mental you know the cognitive stress the physical stress of the the game it's a lot so certainly you know there are days where we just we punt it you know oh, not the okay. today punt it to the next and then we we move on but it's I, I found that structure at least to be to be very useful in being able to kind of take this monster of a time frame break it into the manageable blocks and actually stay consistent with some training and and get these programs like really dialed in so that's kind of i guess big picture maybe how i'm thinking about it but uh, yeah but it's it's front of mind right now because that's the stage of the year we're in right now is
0: like kind of planning this stuff out sure and then i guess as a follow-up to that because like you mentioned minimum effective dose that's really important because you got some guys that are going to be playing 36 37 38 minutes you got your rotation guys that are maybe 18 to 22 25 and then you got your guys that you know unless somebody's injured they're kind of on the bench Yep. you know, next to you. So, so how does that scale or how does that impact what you're trying to do as a strength coach? You know, with those other guys, are you trying to develop more and build more, or, you know, with your starters, are you trying to just manage uh, stress more? Like, how does that look for you guys? How do you bucket that out?
1: That's a great question. I think our, it, it definitely is going to be catered to, catered to what, you know, where, where, what sort of bucket that player is in? If they're a high minute player, if they're a low minute player, if they're a, you know a rotation player, if they're somebody who's not in the rotation, you're definitely going to have some differences there. We try to one of the things I think we do a great job of is keeping consistent playing in our entire roster from one to seventeen. So they're like so. Yeah. If, if for instance, if a guy's out of a rotation, they're in they're in a play group that is getting live play for a minimum, usually a minimum of 40 minutes a week, you know, uh, of live play. So, and those are like play groups that occur on game days so that we can consolidate the stress and we can also deliver, you know, some live play because far too often, I think you'll see if, if a player does, you know, go down and is now out of rotation, is injured, and somebody has to step in, it's just, it's very difficult to replicate the demands of, of the game. You know, we can do all the running we want, we can do all the plows we want, we can do all the, you know, the lifting we want, but I mean, there's really nothing like the actual game um, and the intensity of the game. Even some of these like play groups are very difficult to replicate, even though they're playing live, they're playing five on five. It's just very difficult to replicate that. And the demands that do occur when they actually step in the NBA on, you know, on an NBA court, you know, so, so it, it it helped that process does help though because regardless of where that player falls on that sort of continuum of how much they're playing or if they're in and out of rotation it's like they are on generally a similar plan you know the players that are not playing as much will, will probably have more training opportunities with me for sure and players that are you know heavy minute in rotation are not going to have as many opportunities and then as far as the dosage wise i think a lot of you know, you look into all this stuff. Most training is it's dose dependent. You know, it, it's like the intensity is sort of this you know this thing that we got to make sure we hit, and then it's like how much do we want to turn the dial up or down depending on how much they actually need to retain or develop some of these qualities that we're after. And so ultimately, it's right. like with with a high minute player, you're just going to turn that dial down a little bit, and it really doesn't require much. This is one of the things I I've learned. Certainly, when we talk about minimal effective dose, is it it isn't to retain some of these like qualities, these biomotor abilities, it doesn't take much training. And it's very difficult for our brains to process how little it probably (laughs) takes as strength coaches. But we're talking like, if you look at some of, you know, PAX research, we're talking like one, you know, potentially one to two sets, like heavy sets a week, you know, to retain like uh, max strength. Yeah, very minimal dose, you know, and so so it it doesn't. Yeah, so it's ultimately about just determining what where that player is on that sort of continuum. And then again, just making sure that you're turning that dial up or down as appropriately as you can. And so it does get a little individual there, but most guys are generally on the same kind of cadence.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And when I was in soccer and especially working with the Indy 11, like that was something we always did. Tried to do the best possible job of is keeping everybody in the same rhythm. Mm -hmm. right? Like you said, you're going to play, your playing groups are going to play on game days, right? So everybody's fatigued at the same time or sore at the same time, like that kind of bio rhythms are the same across everybody. Because one of the issues we would have is, okay, somebody doesn't play a lot. And now on Sunday, now you've got a group that's playing, Mm -hmm. right? And they're going at each other and it's an intense session. Well, now the Saturday group you know, is different than the Sunday group. And now everybody's rhythms are off. So I I love that. It's it's just, it makes things way harder to manage. And then it's hard to plan the whole rest of your week, right? So like, when do certain guys lift? What are going to be our intense training days? And obviously soccer is a different rhythm because you generally got a seven-day training week in between games. But yeah, I love that you guys are keeping all that kind of lined up. And
1: it's best for the player too. I mean, they have to get these touches in. I mean, it's like there's you know, you can only do so much skill work and, you know, you got to be able to kind of, you got to be able to put the whole thing together. And so I think it's definitely, it's definitely best for the player as well, you know? And I think yeah. that's kind of where it always starts and then it's okay. But that also makes everybody else's life a little easier as well, you know, because you have a little bit more, sure. more of a ability to kind of structurally structure and plan things. Yeah.
0: Okay. So in a perfect world, no one ever gets injured. Yep. Every guy plays 82 games, but unfortunately, you and I both know that rarely if ever happens, right? Things come up, you know, somebody bangs knees, whatever. So this is where the integration comes into play, right? Somebody gets injured. How does that collaboration process look for you guys? Like how do your ATs, your PTs, your SNCs, how does everybody come together mm-hmm. to get an athlete back to 100%?
1: Yeah I, w- yeah, I would say well, this is fantasy land again, but but I love living here. So the way that the process works for us is the PTs are going to take the, the lead on that. You know, I think the they're going to take the lead on, you know, doing the, the differential and determining what the, the injury is, what the severity of that injury is. And we have, I mean, such high level PTs. I know, you know, some of these guys personally, guys and gals personally, but the pts that we have are just incredible and so they'll do kind of the the lead work of again doing that differential determining severity planning things out as far as what's a projected return and so that's something that it's a really hard job to be honest but like projecting projecting a return very early in the process depending on the severity of the injury obviously but projecting a return very early in the process and then you know, sort of delineating responsibilities appropriately, I think we have really dynamic people on our staff. And so and we've worked together for a long time now. So we've kind of figured out sort of like, our rhythms in terms of, you know, who's responsible for what, because as we know, when it comes to especially like PT and strength coach, there can be like this very gray middle that, you know, everybody gets uncomfortable with. But I think ultimately, it's like, we, we sort of have, you know, again, you kind of have this, like, structure in this period of time where this person's going to have to build and develop, you know, back into, you know, recovering from the injury and then develop back into being able to play. And it's just about delineating the responsibilities accordingly. So early on in the process, that could be as simple as I literally am only taking the things that have zero uh, impact on the particular injury, or it could be uh, a little bit of a mix there where there's certain things that I'm responsible for, um, and certain things that the PT is going to handle um with this individual. So it's it's such a vague answer, but like we have we have very we just have very dynamic people on our staff that have really, you know, have a lot of skill sets and there's carryover in those skill sets, meaning like there's certain things that I could certainly do that one of our PTs can do. And I think we've worked together long enough now where it just becomes, it becomes pretty simple. Like I I really don't care what I do or don't do what I'm responsible (laughs) and I'm not responsible for, as long as it's, again, just what's best for the player. And that's going to be something that that's going to help them, you know, be healthy and return as quickly as possible. So I certainly like will delineate all responsibility, you know, as, as long as it's what's best for that person. So it just, it depends on the injury and the situation, but we're pretty fluid with like where those lines are drawn, if you will. And then, you know, when those things sort of get, get passed back and forth, because what you mostly deal with, if you really boil it down, you get ego aside, what you mostly deal with is logistics. You know, you deal with, I can't, I don't have the time to do everything with this person and neither does the PT, you know, the PT doesn't have the time. So it's, you're really dealing with a logistical problem more than anything else, you know? And so I think as far as who's responsible for what, it's what are the logistical constraints and, you know, what's best for the player. And then you just give it up that way and you go from there. So it's, there's definitely a, a lot of collaboration. And again, in these environments, you're talking every day, you're getting very specific, you know, and every day is, right. is, is very specific. Here's exactly what they're going to do, you know? And so these are things that just, that are, that are always evolving and, and fluid. But certainly I think that the years that we've had together have really smooth, you know, made that process a lot smoother for sure.
0: Yeah. I kind of think of it like this, if if each of you is a circle, right? Like your PT is a circle and your strength coach is a circle and your sports scientist or your skill development guy, if they're all these different circles, right? It behooves each of you to overlap into the other person's area, exactly. right? So yeah. if you're like the strength guy that never leaves the weight room and you have no clue what the PT is going to do or what the skill development person is going to do, it's very hard for you to be successful. Yeah. Right. Or to give the athlete the best chance for success versus, hey, if I go and I'm going to hang out with this PT for a little while and figure out what are they chasing? What's their line of thinking? What's their methodology? Now your circle starts to grow into theirs. Right. And it's not because you're trying to take their space. No, I want to have a better understanding of what it is that you do. Yeah. And so like as a coach, the more you can kind of widen your circle to just better understand the other people that you interact with, I think it ultimately makes you way more powerful and way better at what you do but ultimately it gets the athlete a better end result as well
1: yeah that's a great yeah that's a really good way to put it it's just sort of like understanding you know and and the longer you are the longer you're around people the more this gets a lot easier obviously you know and so you know and and we have the luxury like i have the luxury of going in and i can watch training sessions or watch their their pt sessions a lot of times like actually be there for them and if not there's you know there's again these conversations are happening and we have Slack, which is our our medium of, you know, communication that is, you know, we have a process of of how we discuss things. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's about expanding your
0: circle and and making sure you're just doing what's best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, my guy, I know you've listened to the show. So it's big question time. (laughs) If you could alter the space time continuum and give young Eric Schmidt one piece of advice, what would it be? Man, I actually didn't prepare for this question, but I have heard the <laughs> podcast enough.
1: And I mean, I, you know, I've, yeah. So yeah, I, I think the one thing I would say is slow down, like just slow yourself down a little bit. I think as much as I'm eager to learn and grow and develop, you know, it's, I feel like at times early in my career, I probably tried to learn too fast, if you will. Yep. And the faster you learn something, the Easier it is to forget it, and you know. I think you've been in this industry long enough; you're going to forget a lot of stuff. You know that you you think you knew, and so I think it's it's just slow down and take your time in trying to actually master some of these topics or build enough of a foundation to really have a robust understanding of some of these topics. That's the one piece of advice. But I always go back to the you know what I'm thinking of saying was like nothing because I don't (laughs) think my younger self is ready (laughs) to receive that information. Right. But ultimately, yeah, maybe if that could get through to, you know, the young E. Schmidt, then that would
0: be great. Yeah. I think that's a pretty common answer. Be patient. Slow yeah. Down. The right things will happen if you're doing the right things to get yourself there. Right. I think so. I really do. Yeah. Okay. So there's a reason I didn't put your lightning round questions in the initial questions because I wanted this to just be 100% spontaneous. God, I love that. Okay? All right. Here we go. So I got five questions. Boom. Num- number one, best gym in Vegas,
1: go. Come on, man. No question. This is Dragon's Lair, baby.
0: <laughs> dragon's
1: Lair. Let's uh, go. It's not even a qu- you know, Flex Lewis's gym. The place is painted all black with, you know, red dragons all over the place. It's got every piece of equipment you could ever imagine. It's a no brainer. And if you haven't been there and you've been to Vegas, Shame on you! Go to Dragon's Sad. Lair. It's the best. Sad.
0: <laughs> I thought you were going to say the Hilton or whatever we <laughs> were at this summer. <laughs> okay. All right. Dragon's Lair. Number two. Worst part about Summer League. Oof. Vegas. Um, <laughs> all of it, dude. I yeah. mean, the
1: wildest thing about Summer League is yeah. Worst part. Okay. It's Vegas, man. It's it's a wild yes. place to try to work, right? So you know, I'll be coming down the elevator at six AM to just, you know, hit my Starbucks run and there's just people that are just banged up on the elevator, like <laughs> just getting through a night of partying. You walk out to the, you know, to the main floor. People are smoking stogies, sitting at the tables. It's still dude, it's six AM. Still gambling. Still. I'm still just gambling. like it's just a wild it's just a Vegas is <laughs> <laughs> so fascinating to me, but uh, yeah, all of it, man. It's just it's a wild yeah. place. It's a wild place to try okay. to work. You know, to try to that,
0: be productive. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it because I obviously see you out there, and it's like, it's a business trip, right? Yeah. If we're going out, our idea of going out is we're going to go to dinner or like Top Golf for the event and have a couple <laughs> drinks, and then we're in bed. It's no. Every morning when I was there this year, I was up at seven, right? I'm downstairs, like having breakfast. These dudes are literally coming in every night at seven eating breakfast. I'm like, how different are our days? Oh my God. I'm starting my day, bright eyed, bushy tailed. These guys are just wrapping it up, ready to go to bed. I'm like, they have to feel awful. Oh my God. They've got to feel awful. I
1: think about it all the time. I'm like, we're living in a parallel universe right now. Me and this guy, Yes. you know? So yeah, it's a good time.
0: (laughs) Okay, number three, what are you most excited about learning right now? I know you're always learning stuff. What are you most excited about right now? Nerding out on.
1: Gosh, man, good question. I would say I'm always most interested in bioenergetics, always. It's just, for whatever reason, it just excites me to try to learn about just that topic in general. So, and, it, and it's not even just like conditioning per se, but just like the, I think it's bioenergetics, the whole thing is involved in everything that we do. So I'm always like, when I find myself just like trying to learn something um, outside of what specific problems are in front of me it's always it's typically like bioenergetic related
0: yeah yeah and anything specific that you're like reading watching or just as a whole you're just like reading textbooks
1: yeah currently i'm reading evan picon's new book that he wrote on i'm not sure if you know who he is but he's i mean this dude's a monster man he's really good physiology for sure he has a pro he works for a company called nox um okay and nox is I, i don't know if you're familiar with moxie but moxie is a Yeah. Muscle oxygen sensor. Knox is another, it's a muscle oxygen sensor, but it also measures nitric oxide levels. And so there's kind of a a manual that he's written as part of kind of getting you up to speed with some of the underlying physiology of the technology. And so I'm reading that right now. And that's just, I'm always fascinated by that, but it's another potential piece of, of technology that I think could really, that probably has a lot of value in kind of looking under the hood at some of these sort of these internal indicators of physiological performance and so i think that's that's something i'm
0: reading right now okay yeah i'm gonna have to check that out i've heard of him but i've not read his book so that sounds yeah. intriguing it's like a man i think it's a manual but i mean yeah
1: you you'd be i could share it with you it's a free resource he provides but it's good man i mean it's very yeah. good yeah very good so
0: i love i love to nerd out man you know that I love <laughs> me and you both one nerd to another yes you know that's right that's right. Okay, number four. The best thing you did this off season was.
1: Ooh. Okay. I mean, I'm going to go personal here. I went to visit my grandpa's hometown in France, and that was okay above and beyond the best, the best, best thing I did this off season. Yeah. So spent yeah. spent a lot of good time with uh, family out in France, and um, yeah, had some really good times out there. He li- He grew up in the Vosges Mountains, which is the border of France and Germany in small little village so i finally got to go see where he uh you know where the schmidt lineage not began you know obviously but you know the so my grandpa came over from france and and he was the one that kind of immigrated here and got us started and so yeah so that was cool i just saw a lot of food pictures from Mm, that trip oh my gosh food looked
0: amazing
1: that's my favorite thing man is food so yeah so Dude. you're gonna get a lot of that on the gram if you're if you're following me not a lot of training <laughs> a lot of food yeah <laughs> unless you're in dragon's layer unless you're in Dra- yeah. dragon's layer no question food. oh my gosh no question yeah but yeah great food over there I mean obviously they're known for food
0: yes but uh, yeah we ate well yeah sure it looked so good okay last but not least number four what's next for e Schmidt Who dominating
1: this year, man, just trying to be a little bit better this year, hoping to contribute, you know, to this organization and hopefully contribute to, you know, a little piece of of success that we'll have this year. That's what's next. Yeah, it's tough to think about anything else, to be honest. You know, that's what's what's in front of me is hopefully, yeah, just contributing to the success of this team and hopefully have a great year.
0: Yeah. You got to put the blinders on now, man. It's,
1: it's about to be go time. Oh, it's time. It's time. Yeah. When Ooh. does
0: when is training camp start? October 3rd?
1: Yes. October 2nd, I
0: think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. October. So we're here. We're here now. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, Schmitty, man, this was so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so grateful that you could do this because you know, you're my boy. So where can my listeners find out more about you and anything that you're working on?
1: Well, the gram, I guess, because that's my <laughs> only social media uh, outlet. Although, shamelessly, I don't really post much on there. But, uh, but I'll, I'll do better for the people if they, if they need it, you know, but uh, yes. yeah, ma- basically, there is probably the easiest place, you know, other than that, hit me up personally, and we can chat. But that's about
0: it. I love it. I love it. Well, Schmidty man, thanks again for coming on, brother. This was great. Yeah, thanks for having me. I honestly appreciate it. All right, my friends. That does it for this week's episode with Eric Schmidt. Really hope you enjoyed it. This guy is an absolute savage. Yes, we joke around about Vegas, but... The shared suffering that we have in Vegas allows us to really connect. We have some great conversations and I just love the way this guy thinks. I love talking about program design, about evaluating our athletes, about best practices, and the fact that we've shared and collaborated multiple athletes in the past has really just helped reinforce how good he is at his job. So I hope you took some things away. If nothing else, man, go back, listen to that in-season program design section again. He is on a tear, and there is so much great information about how they plan and periodize for their athletes using that agile periodization structure. So if you enjoyed today's episode, I got one or two small favors to ask. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, please, please go and do that right now iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon Store, YouTube Podcasts, wherever you go to listen to your shows, go there right now and hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. Second, if you already subscribed, thank you. Go one step further, share this episode with somebody that trains athletes. Obviously, this is framed in the context of the NBA, but if you work with athletes, you could probably get better at laying out their offseason. You could be better at dialing in their in-season periodization and when you hit those heavy days, when you hit those lighter days. So if anybody you know would benefit from listening to this show, please do me that small favor and share that with them so we can continue to grow the podcast and make this industry a little bit better. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.